0: And we're just going to look this evening at what we've just read, Galatians 1, verses 3 to 5. Now, during the summer, uh, we as a family went to America, and we had a really uh, lovely holiday. And people often ask, what is the highlight of the trip? And all five in my family would have different things to say about what their highlight of the trip is. And I'm going to tell you my highlight of our trip uh, to America. Uh, My highlight was in uh, Washington, D.C., I got to go to the Library of Congress. Now, that might sound dead boring to almost everybody in this room, but for me, it was the most exciting part of the trip. In the Library of Congress there are literally millions of books, 500 miles, apparently, of books. And when you go into the Library of Congress, you have to, to book a timed entry for an hour, and you can go in, and then you can look down from above on the, at the main reading room, which is a beautiful room with all these alcoves and all these books where people can go and study. And you look at it, looking down, a little bit like if you were in the study upstairs, looking down on the, the, the church floor here. And I was kind of sad looking down at the reading room that I couldn't go in until I found out you can go in if you are a reader of the Library of Congress. And I found out how to become a reader, and I applied, and I got a special card that gives me access to all of the books in the Library of Congress and I can go into the reading room of the Library of Congress and study. And you're only allowed in the reading room if you're going to study and if you have this special card that gives you access. And so I went into the reading room I did some study in there. I went into the alcoves. I pulled books off the shelf and looked at them. Any book you can imagine I could find. I could go to the librarian and I could ask her and or he and and they would give me the or tell me where to find the book. It was I was excited. Now you obviously most of you probably aren't as excited as as I am over over this, this real treat. Most of you probably would have enjoyed the theme park more. But the Library of Congress to me was was wonderful. But imagine. Uh, when I go back, or if I go back, I mean, I can't imagine going back anytime soon, my card does last for four years, but imagine I go back to the Library of Congress, a place where I have access to any of these books, all this research facilities, and I go there and I just decide to, to throw my card away and go back to just looking down from above, I can't access anything, I, I just have to time, get a timed entry and, and go back to looking down from above. Or imagine, which is what more likely would happen with me, I turn up to the Library of Congress and I've left my card in a drawer by my bed at home. And so I don't have access anymore to all those books. I don't have access to the librarians, I don't have the access to sit and read in this beautiful room. I'm just an outsider again looking in. I don't lose my my membership. I'm I'm still a, a reader, but I don't partake of all the benefits. I hinder my ability to study and take part in all the wonderful things that are there. Now, why do I tell you this? I tell you this because we can do the same with the gospel, can't we? If we forget it, or we, worse, go after another gospel, which we will see next time is no gospel at all, we aren't able to partake of the benefits that we have in Christ from the gospel. So we don't receive the peace that the gospel gives us. When we face anxiety, we, we just can't move forward. When we're suffering pain, we don't have any hope for the future. When we're in trouble, we don't know where to turn. And we end up sinning and not repenting and life just becomes a misery for us because we forget the gospel or we discard it and put it away and we can't partake of its benefits. Well, in Galatians, Paul is writing to remind the churches what the gospel is. False teachers are spreading a different gospel, a gospel where We save ourselves, and next week we'll see that that's no gospel at all. And false teachers are undermining Paul's authority. They're saying, Well, Paul tells you you're saved by grace, but let me tell you, he hasn't told you the whole story. And at the beginning of this letter, Paul sets out the two main issues he deals with in Galatians the nature of his apostleship and the nature of the Christian gospel. And last week we looked a little bit at the apostleship of Paul. This week, We're going to see the nature of the true gospel. And brothers and sisters, tonight I'm not going to tell you, if you're a Christian, anything really you don't know. I'm going to tell you the gospel. And the reason I'm going to tell you the gospel is because Paul tells us the gospel. And Paul tells us the gospel because we need reminding of the gospel every single day, don't we? We need to be reminded. Jesus Christ has died for our sins. He's risen from the dead. He's ascended to heaven. He's returning. We'll be with him Forever, in glory, we need to be reminded of this every day. Otherwise, our Christian life is just crippled, isn't it? And so today, we're going to be reminded of the gospel so that we can praise God again for how great it is that Christ has saved us from our sins. And so we can live Christian lives, gospel lives, because that gospel is at the forefront of our minds every day. And so Paul begins this letter with a reminder of the gospel. And he begins actually with the greeting he often gives to churches. Look again at verse 3. He says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's a common greeting from Paul. Grace and peace are actually sent to the recipients of every one of his letters that he writes in the New Testament. But the sending of grace and peace are never just empty words. Sending them is telling people the truth about God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, how they have given us grace and peace. So Paul tells us about grace and peace, and then in verses 4 and 5, he tells us how to get grace and peace. But first of all, it's worth defining what grace and peace is. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's a gift that's given to us that, that we can't earn ourselves. And it refers really here to God's gift of salvation. It's given by God's will and it's accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't earn it, we don't work ourselves for it. Jesus gives it to us. It's grace. We don't earn it, it's grace. Unmerited favor, that's grace. And then peace is what the gift of grace provides us with. It's, uh, uh, peace is a, a state of wholeness or freedom from strife. It, the war against God has ended because my sin which separates me from God has been paid for. The fear of death is no more because we know where we're headed. I have peace with God, from God. So the source of our salvation is grace and the nature of our salvation is peace. And both of these come from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Unmerited favor, the gift of God that gives us peace with God and from God. That's what we receive. That's what Paul is is sending. And he's not sending it because He's able to give it himself. He's sending it because he's going to share how God provides this for us. And all of us need grace and peace. Every one of us needs grace and peace. Sin has separated us from God. And we need to be rescued. We don't deserve it. It's grace. And his gift of grace brings us peace. So Paul begins his letter here by explaining what the gift of grace is and how to receive this peace. And in verses 4 and 5, we see how God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ does this. And he does it in three parts in verses 4 and 5. We're going to see the ransom, the rescue, and the reason. So if you want to go to work tomorrow, and they'll say, what do you do at the weekend? And you say, well, I heard the gospel. And they'll say, what's the gospel? You've got uh, three parts. The ransom, the rescue, the reason. That's what we're going to look at tonight. So first of all, the ransom. He gave himself for our sins. Paul links uh, this next sentence with the work of the Lord Jesus Christ specifically. He is the one who gave himself for our sins. So first of all, notice that it's a gift. He gave himself. Gave. Gave means it's a gift. It's, it's grace. It's not deserved. It's given to us. Also, notice it as he gave himself. Gave means here it's a sacrifice. Jesus made a sacrifice that was voluntary. It was a gift. He was willing to die. He gave himself. He wasn't arm twisted into his death on the cross for our sins. He gave himself. It was a gift willingly for us. Jesus was not an unwilling victim that had no control over his death. He gave himself for us. In John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says this, no one, talking of his life, takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. So Jesus wasn't forced into his death. Jesus gave himself to death for us. It was because he loves us. Secondly, notice it was a gift of himself. He gave himself. He didn't give someone else. He gave himself, his his life. And that's important because of who Jesus is. Jesus is a man in many ways, just like us. Physically, he is a man. But unlike us, Jesus never sinned. He didn't do anything wrong ever. Jesus isn't just a man, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's proven by his miracles and his resurrection. You know, Jesus performed divine works, didn't he? He received divine worship. He possesses divine attributes. He's called even divine names. He is called equal with God. He is identified as God. Jesus is God. And so the one who gave himself for our sins was the perfect man who is God. And so he then is able, because he is sinless, To switch places with us and die for us. He had no sin of his own to pay for, and so he's able to pay for our sin. He dies the death we deserve. He gave himself, the perfect Son of God gave himself for our sins. And so that's the third part to notice. First, it's a gift, it's a gift of himself. Thirdly, it's a substitution. We face God's judgment for our sins. We deserve hell because of our sins, because of our rebellion against God, but Jesus swapped places with us. He suffered hell that we deserve for our sins. And the reality of this substitution of a perfect person in our place has always been God's plan. It was pictured in the Old Testament with the sacrificial system, It was prophesied in places like Isaiah 53, which we read earlier. So again, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Notice there the the substitution, on him, on him of us, and so on. So it was pictured, it was prophesied, and then also from Jesus himself even, it was proclaimed. Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that phrase, gave himself, that is here in Galatians, is all through the writings of Paul the Apostle. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He gave himself as a ransom for all people. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness? So over and again we read that he, he He gives Himself for us. He He swaps places with us. He died for our sins. So serious was the breach between us and God caused by our sin. Nothing less than the substitutionary atoning death of the Son of God can rescue us and reconcile us to the Father. In order to save us, God did not give us a to do list, He did not give us a pep talk. He gave Himself for our sins. You see? Isn't that amazing? He gave Himself for our sins. That's the ransom. Secondly, the rescue. He gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Christianity is a rescue religion. Rescue explains perfectly what God does in sending Jesus. It's like when uh, someone is drowning or is stranded. Now, when I was a, a teenager, Uh, We, as a family, went on holiday uh, in France to the Dordogne, uh, which is a river, and we went canoeing on the river. And my whole family was in this canoe, and as we were going down the river, the canoe hit a rock, and it capsized. And my stepdad and my mum, and my sister all managed to uh, capsize really well and float away, I got caught under the seat in the canoe as it was under the water and I couldn't get out. And so my stepdad managed to get under the water and he pulled me out of the canoe and I was put on the back of some Frenchman uh, who then carried me to the other side. I was under the water and I was in a panic. I needed rescue. I was stuck. That's the kind of thing we're talking about here. Someone is in peril and is desperately in need of help. And humanity is in deadly peril. They are on their way to a lost eternity in hell, and they need rescue from their sins, and Jesus Christ is the one who rescues us. Now notice, though, what Paul says we're rescued from. We are rescued from, in verse, at the end of verse 4, the present evil age. The present evil age. The Bible describes history really in two stages. There is the present age of sin and decay, and there is a future age of blessing that's to come. And the present evil age is dominated by sin and decay and is on its way to destruction. And we see the effects of the present evil age. There is war and famine, and plague, and frustration, and evil behavior, and so on. We all see those effects, don't we? Ultimately, in the present evil age, we see death. And the present age is so corrupted, it can't be redeemed, and one one day it will pass away. And for the unbeliever, the one that's not following Jesus, this is the only world that there is, the only age that they are in, and they will be destroyed with it as it continues on into hell. And if they don't turn to Jesus, they're not rescued from it. If you like, this, this present evil age is the raging sea or the Dordogne River in which we are drowning in. We are drowning in the present evil age. But the Christian has been rescued from it. Because a new age has come. A new era has arrived. Jesus Christ brings the new age. He literally brought heaven to earth. When Jesus was on earth, we saw heaven come down. When we see him healing the sick and calming the storm... And casting out the demons, we see a taste of heaven on earth. And his resurrection from the dead inaugurated a brand new age. He defeated sin and death of this present evil age. And he brings his people into a new age that can be enjoyed by all those who put their faith in him. And so the Christian is rescued from the present evil age by being brought into the age to come. Now, this is a process because, as we're all fully aware, we are still physically in the present evil age. And we still suffer the effects of the present evil age, but we are also, at the same time, rescued from it. We are a people of the age to come. If you like, we're a little bit like foreigners waiting to go home after a long time in another country, we, we don't quite belong here. We're, we're, we find it a bit strange where we belong somewhere else. or we're like time travelers that have come from a different age and have come back and think, "This age is crazy." And we are most at home, even on this Earth, as Christians, when we're experiencing tastes of the life to come, the presence of God. The peace that passes understanding, being with other Christians at church, living a life of purpose for the glory of God. Those are our tastes of the age to come that we can experience now. John Stott says that the Christian life is living in this age, the life of the age to come. And so there are really, I would say, three ways we can think of how we are rescued from the present evil age. First of all, we are delivered from the sentence of condemnation. Sorry about the slide, but there we go. But we're delivered from the sentence of condemnation. That is, we no longer have to live with the guilt of being part of the reason the age is evil. Our sins have been forgiven. That sentence that hangs over us is no more. And so when I am feeling the weight and the burden of my sin, I've been, I remember I've been rescued from this. Jesus has died for my sin. I don't need this guilt anymore. He's died for me. And we're rescued from that, that sentence. It no longer hangs over us. We're free from that. Secondly, we're delivered from its immoral contamination. That doesn't mean we're no longer influenced at all by the present age. It doesn't mean we don't sin anymore. What it means is that within us, we have the power of the Holy Spirit to live according to God's plan and say no to the contamination of this world. We begin to live like people from a different world. And as we live for Jesus, people will notice, you don't, you, you don't seem to live like everybody else. We're f- and we can say, well, that's because I'm from another planet. We are different because we have the Spirit living in us. We are rescued from the immoral contamination of this world. And we're foolish, by the way, when we go back into it, aren't we? And thirdly, we're delivered from its deadly culmination. That is, we will be with the Lord. We are saved from the future that this world faces of God's judgment. We are rescued. We will be with the Lord in glory forever. Christian, you have been rescued from this present evil age. You are part of another age, the age to come. And so remember this. When, when this evil age gets to us, which it does, when, when we're suffering with the effects of illness, when we're grieving over death, when we're struggling with sin, remember, you have been rescued from this present evil age. There is an age to come which you are a part of. But also, our day-to-day lives, as we reflect the future age, is a witness to others in this age, that they might also become part of God's kingdom and the age to come. So, so far, we've seen the part of the Lord Jesus Christ in giving us grace and peace, He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. And finally, we see the reason. And this comes from God our Father. Because the reason that Jesus gave himself for our sins and rescued us from the present evil age is because it is according to the will of our God and Father. Why did Jesus go through what he did? Why did he die for our sins? Why, why did he rescue us when we deserved to be left? Because the reason we needed rescue was because of our own rebellion against the God who is rescuing us. Why? It's because the Father wants it to happen. Jesus willingly gave himself, but it was the plan of the Father. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. That the Father wished for this to happen shows the great love he has for us. You know, you're not part of God's family because you earned it, but neither are you part of God's family because you had to twist his arm to let you in. You're part of his family. Because God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. That's why you're part of his family. And that means, Christian, God wants you in his family. You're precious to him. He he sent his son to die for you. So the reason for our rescue is that it is the will of the Father. Isn't that wonderful that that he wants you as part of his family? Isn't it wonderful that he loves you so much that he chose that Jesus would die for you despite our rebellion against him? Don't we need reminding of this truth every day? And in verse 5, we see that the Father's will results in the Father's glory. Look at verse 5. To whom be glory forever and ever, Amen. If we cannot save ourselves, which we can't, then all of the glory for our salvation goes to God, doesn't it? When we become followers of Jesus, we don't pat ourselves on the back and say, Well, how great am I? When we become followers of Jesus, we say, glory be to God. He saves us. He gets the glory. But also, in this verse, he saves us for his glory. So the achievement of our salvation is glorious and it results in glory to God. And so our lives are to be lived for the glory of the God who rescued us. And so as Christians have been rescued from this present evil age because Jesus has given himself for our sins. We praise him with our lips and we glorify him with our lives because that's the purpose for which he has saved us, isn't it? I mean, that's what we're going to spend eternity doing. Praising him with our lips, glorifying him with our lives and it's going to be wonderful to do so forever with no sin. That's why we're saved. Now next week, we're going to see how the churches in Galatia desert this gospel for a different one. And as we've read these verses, these should excite us as Christians. We should be saying, glory be to God. And when Paul goes on to say how astonished he is that they've moved to a different gospel, if we remember the gospel we've heard tonight, we also should be astonished that we would ever think About going anywhere else. This is the one true gospel. And it's glorious, isn't it? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever and shall we say amen well let's stand together and celebrate what god has done for us our final song is who O lord could save themselves let's stand let's give glory to god as we praise him for our great salvation before we close just to say if anyone has any questions about the gospel if they've been challenged by what they've you've heard tonight and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ and become part of the age to come uh, then i would be delighted to tell you about Jesus and so come and ask please and we would love to share more with you about how to become a christian but i'm going to close with these words from paul the apostle in ephesians may we as his people Being rooted and established in love, have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen.